Aloha Mission Church. I'm so glad that you are here today. I did not want to miss out on being a part of the service, so I'm going to do two things. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to dismiss the children. Children, you are dismissed to go to Sunday school. Thank you so much for being a part of our service. God bless you, kids. And uh, the second thing I want to do is introduce our speaker today. Today, our speaker is Hadley Halbert. Hadley has joined our staff, oh, about two months ago, and since she's joined has been a wonderful addition. And I know many of you have not had the opportunity to meet her, so you will have that opportunity today. Hadley is primarily working with our college students, but last Sunday she was behind the sound booth working our PowerPoint and helping us because that's one of her passions. The other passion that she has is preaching the gospel and being in ministry. Hadley is called into the ministry and we're so excited that she's a part of Mission Church as she continues to nurture that call and explore what that means uh, for her own personal life. Today, Hadley is not just our guest speaker. She is our speaker. And so today, I'd like to ask you to give your attention and open your heart to the message that Hadley has prepared as she continues in our growing series, as she preaches about growing in forgiveness. Thank you, Hadley, for preparing the message and preparing your heart to bring it to us today. I look forward to hearing that message, and God bless you as you share God's word with us. Well, good morning, church. (laughs) I'm just going to step off now because that was, I don't think I can compete with that introduction of myself. Thanks, Pastor Gordon. Um, I want to preface this sermon with two things. One, if you hear a little crackling in my chest, it's not the head cold that I have right now. It is the Holy Spirit. And the second thing is that I am a worship leader. So if I just break into song, y'all start clapping and the worship team come up and we'll just go from there, all right? Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Hadley Halbert. And as Pastor Gordon said, I work alongside Pastor Jeff with these amazing college students here at Mission, as well as working at Point Loma Nazarene University with chapel programming. I'm also a recent graduate of PLNU, having um, received my degree in business marketing, and I'm obviously thriving in the business world, seeing as all of my jobs revolve around ministry. It's funny how the call of God works and how you can't run away from that. You know, about five or six years ago, I was sitting in a church service just like this one, and my dad was actually the one up here preaching, and I looked at him and I thought, nope, I would not want to do that. And here I am today. But what an honor it is to be with you. Any chance that I get to share the gospel in this particular way, I consider it a huge privilege. And to do that with a congregation that I deeply care about, it is a big privilege for me. Well, since a lot of you might not know me, I want to start by telling you a story about little Hadley so you can get pretty familiar with me. Like I mentioned, I'm a pastor's kid, which meant that I moved around a lot, but I primarily grew up in Bakersfield, California. Anyone from Central Cal? Yeah, y'all don't know what you're missing until you get up there and it's like hard to breathe. Anyway, I grew up on a cul-de-sac just a few houses down from my best friend at the time, Lily. Now, Lily was both my bestest friend in the entire world, but also my biggest arch nemesis. And even though Bakersfield is a pretty big city, it was not big enough for both of our sassy personalities, let me tell you. 
We had the most love-hate relationship in the world. And the only thing that Lily and I had in common is how passionately we could argue anything we wanted to. If Lily thought the sky was blue, I said it was pink. If I said I like dogs, Lily said she loved cats. Now, I don't remember in particular how this specific argument started, but I found myself standing in the middle of the cul-de-sac facing Lily, passionately trying to decide which one of the two of us would take the other in a boxing match. Obviously, our frustration with one another had escalated to the point in which duking it out to the death was the only valid and logical way that we could move forward. So we did the most logical thing that any two eight-year-olds could do, and we decided to part ways. To go inside and grab our boxing gloves because we were about to go down. And I'll mention that at the age of eight years old, I had already obtained two pairs of boxing gloves, and I had been waiting, waiting for this day to come. Now here I should mention (laughs) that at this age, she was already twice my height. Her mother, a police officer, and get this. Her father, a pro boxer. (laughs) And while I'd like to think that I was solid competition against her, this is what I look like at the strong age of eight years old. (laughs) So strong, so tough. Look at joy on my shirt and everything. I was very self-aware of my probable defeat, but I had made up my mind that if I was going to go down, I was going to go down swinging as hard as I could. So I go inside to get my boxing gloves, and my mom, who's here with me today, can we hear it from my mom? She's awesome. She's the reason I'm, like, not in prison (laughs) for beating people up. I walk in the house, I grab my boxing gloves, and I head straight out the door, and my mom says, Hadley, Where are you going with those? And I said, don't worry, Mom. I'll be back before the streetlights come on. I'm just going to go beat up the neighborhood kid real quick, and I'll be back before dinner. Yeah, no. My mom quickly intervened, knowing that her three-foot, literally three-foot-tall eight-year-old was about to be destroyed in a pathetic attempt to try to beat up this girl and gave me this whole talk on, Hadley, what would Jesus do? Don't you think you need to go ask Lily for forgiveness? No! Why would I do that? Clearly, Lily had crafted this brutal rage within me, and she had deserved my entire wrath. Forgiveness was not an option. Why would you even say that? The only solution was to let my aggressive attempt at well-deserved revenge in a boxing match be the thing. No, but my mother stopped me. I wasn't allowed to box Lily. Actually, instead, she sent me outside to invite Lily to come to Sunday school with us the very next morning, and she did. <laughs> but don't get me wrong, I would have won. I'm still betting I would have won. Actually, I called Lily about a year ago to check in on her and see how she's doing, and uh, she's in the army now, so <laughs> she, she probably, uh, probably would have destroyed me. 
But as a church, we are in the sermon series called Growing. Growing meaning developing and cultivating, shifting and stretching, becoming better, becoming one, becoming whole, and eventually growing towards health. We're moving through this series in order to cultivate these habits together that reflect and model the life of Jesus. Because that is how we grow in health as one body together. And that is truly how we see life in the church. And dare I say that one of the ways that the church struggles the most to model the life of Jesus and be a mere image of Jesus is through the act of forgiveness. The act of Christ-like forgiveness is lacking in the church. And here's what I find so mind-boggling about this fact. We are Christians, which means that we have devoted our lives to modeling the life of Jesus, and we very openly confess that we are sinful people and know that Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. So as Christians, we welcome this idea of Jesus' forgiveness in his death and resurrection, right? You are going to have to interact with me up here. Christians means little Christ, which means that calling ourselves Christians means that we are trying to emulate the character of Jesus, which to my third but not final point yet, do not begin to pack up your stuff, means that we are to model the same forgiveness that we have no problem proclaiming to others. Because forgiven people should be forgiving people. Now, I didn't see enough pens moving, so I'm going to say it again. Forgiven people should be forgiving people. But this seems to be where the church struggles the most. Some of y'all feeling a little called out right now. I looked at you and you just looked away. Yeah, it's because it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to own, and I wrestle with this too. And did you know that there are 89 passages of scripture in the Bible that talk about forgiveness, but none of them actually tell you how to do it. They just say that you should do it. So God literally created this Nike slogan, forgiveness, just do it. <laughs> One of the most well-known and important passages of scripture, which we just said beautifully together, are the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, where he teaches us to pray. And in the midst of this, he says that crucial line, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness is such an important idea that Jesus wants us to model as Christians that he asks us to name forgiveness in our prayer life. Not only to be forgiven by God, but for the heart and the humility to then forgive others as well. So that's what we're going to wrestle with this morning. What is forgiveness? How does Jesus forgive? How do we fit into this? And what is being asked of us? Because if we're going to ask God to forgive us, then we should forgive those who have hurt us. Are y'all ready? When I say ye, you say ha. Ye? Ha. All right, let's go. First, we've got to talk about love. All right, because nothing exists first without the foundation of God's love, including forgiveness. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
If this isn't the greatest act of love for you, that the God of all creation sent his one and only son to die on a cross to you, to forgive your sins because the idea of being eternally separated from you because of your sins hurt God's heart so much, then I don't know how else to convince you that forgiveness is an act of love. And our understanding of love will always be in conflict with God's love. Because we love in a way, like little Hadley, that keeps the boxing gloves close by. Because our love is conditional. It's codependent on you making me feel happy. It's easily upset, it's easily construed, and it's temperamental. But with God's love, we're talking about about one that went to the cross for me. The one that has seen the depths of me, my secrets, my selfish motives, my ambitions, and still looks me straight in the face and chooses to forgive me daily. God's love has spoken this love and forgiveness over me rather than asking me to stand in the middle of the cul-de-sac and square up. So let's just name it. The first step in being forgiven and learning to forgive others is that we have to admit and we have to be willing to admit that we are sinful and broken people. And sin is disgusting. It's toxic. It's filthy. It destroys. And our sin is rooted in selfishness and selfish motives. It breaks relationships. It ruins people. It destroys our lives and others' lives. And often sin is so ingrained in our daily lives now that we don't even realize that we're doing it. We don't even realize at this point because it's so second nature that it's something we have to offer to God and ask for forgiveness. Sharp comments to bring someone down out of insecurity and jealousy. Secret keeping and deceiving people you love to hold on to something that you know is humiliating or shameful. Resentment towards someone which acts out in weaponizing words. Manipulation in order to get ahead of someone. We think that we're so good at hiding these things, but here's the crazy news for you. I don't know if you knew this, but God has already seen them. God has already seen this. He's already seen how we take advantage of one another. We hurt one another. We manipulate one another. Other children of God. And he still looks at me and says, I'm not going to hold that against you. God's love is so radical that it leaves nothing left unseen. And God offers us this space to sit with the Holy Spirit, and to surface some of the ways that we need to ask for forgiveness for ourselves. I recently heard a sermon from Pastor Tiana Spencer, who shared that God doesn't surface our brokenness to shame us, but to heal us. So I'm going to ask you this question. Are you willing to look inward and acknowledge it? There's this beautiful gift of grace, And sometimes it surfaces in this beautiful thing called conviction. And all of you just sank a little lower into your seats. But can I talk about conviction for a second? Can you say that word, conviction? Conviction Conviction is something that makes us so uncomfortable. But just as we can't forgive our own sins, we can't come to realize the places of our lives that we are hurting other people and that need to be more in alignment with Christ until we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. 
Conviction is the Holy Spirit prompting us and tapping us on the shoulder to draw our attention to the ways that we're not treating people as Christ would and allows us the opportunity to then run back to Christ and ask for forgiveness. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God wanted to be in right relationship with us for eternity so bad that he sent his one and only son to model what that looks like and then forgave me for the ways that I, day in and day out, will struggle to live that out my entire life. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to walk with me and to guide me and to surface the ways that I'm not living like him so that I can ask for forgiveness. This is what true love looks like. Matthew 22, the greatest commandment is love, and we cannot love like Jesus loves unless we begin to forgive as Jesus forgave us. Forgiveness and love go hand in hand, so Lord, don't find us being a people who preach love, but then have a hard time finding how to forgive people who have wronged us and who have hurt us. Now, we're not asked, to go to the extent of sacrificing, thank you, Lord, anyone on a cross to have to obtain this type of forgiveness and this type of love. But we are asked to acknowledge that our sinning carries so much of an impact that the God of love and justice and reconciliation went to the cross for you and for me and for us to right the wrongs that we make and continue to make against one another. And we are asked to model that same heart of forgiveness to everyone around us. But why is this so hard to do? If there are 89 passages of scripture in the Bible emphasizing how important it is, why is it so hard to do? I literally do not know. So I did what any 22-year-old theologian would do, and I googled it. So, the greatest theologian of this generation, Google, does define forgiveness as being a difficult task because we have a psychological motivation to avoid being exploited by others. So the easiest way to avoid it is to retaliate or literally walk away from the problem, which in this case is actual people. So essentially, the great news is that we are wired to have selfish motives, which ultimately means we are inherently terrible at Jesus' idea of forgiveness. So then where do we get this full capacity to actually forgive as Jesus forgave? Even the disciples are baffled by this. The twelve chosen by God to walk closely with him are baffled by this. In Matthew 18, Peter asked Jesus, how often are we supposed to forgive Jesus seven times? And Jesus goes, oh no, Peter, silly answer, seven times 70. Wow, revolutionary math. Congratulations. Each and every one of you are leaving here today with 490 free passes until I have to stop forgiving you. No, 7 times 70 is actually a uh, symbol of infinite forgiveness in Scripture, which means that the call is to infinitely give forgiveness to our brothers and sisters. That means you and me. Adele Calhoun, the author of the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, says this, Forgiveness is not a human idea. It's God's. Forgiveness is an entirely new way of being human. It's Jesus' way of being human. 
Jesus enters a world of wrongdoing with a heart that is open to love and forgive over and over again. Seventy times seven. So why is forgiveness so hard? Because it's a characteristic of Jesus. And Jesus, newsflash, is countercultural. And following Jesus should always be countercultural. Jesus healed the lepers who were blatantly avoided. He sat with the oppressors and he showed them compassion. He taught love, a radical idea to racial and gender discriminators. He sat with the woman at a well who was broken inside and cast out by her society and told her, that there was still love and worth inside of her. And while he was dying on a cross with our sins pierced through his hands to hang him there, he asked his father to forgive us because we have no idea what we are doing. Jesus lived his life in a way that rivaled culture. And Jesus lived his life in a way that rivals our culture. Therefore, we are to rival culture's methods of forgiveness. The instinct to retaliate, to put ourselves aside, our pride and our ego and our self-esteem and our boxing gloves. Seventy times seven. So here we are then, left with this obligation to forgive, this command by God. And hear me out. We can all sit here and feel real good, a sermon about forgiveness, and we can agree that forgiveness is really hard. We can all get behind that. But what we can't ignore is that it is Jesus Christ who calls us to forgive. So it's not, should I forgive, but it's, what does forgiveness look like in my life? Going back to the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, forgiveness, if you look at it, is actually the central theme throughout this entire prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, God's forgiveness and reconciliation are the reasons why we can even approach the throne of God in the first place. Hallowed be thy name. God is a holy God desiring to make us a holy people, making us more like him. One who loves lavishly, even when we have wronged God and those he loves. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are opening our hearts to allow the ways of heaven to become the new patterns on this earth, starting with us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgiveness as a part of God's provision for us. It's a grace, a conviction. Lead us not into temptation. God, let us not be tempted to go back to our own ways, but through your guidance, help me to always seek the ways of the kingdom and God's patterns of forgiveness. Then the line right after the prayer says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's almost like Jesus is saying, if you get anything out of this prayer that I am saying on the top of this super cool mountain, it is that you are to forgive abundantly. And as my mom would say, no ifs, no ands, and no buts. Now, I actually want to stop and acknowledge that within this room, there are people who have had really awful things happen to them out of their control and now have to wrestle with this idea of maybe forgiving someone or something who honestly just does not deserve it. And if that's you this morning, I want you to know that wrestling with this call to forgive in abundance 
is okay. It's okay to wrestle with it, and it doesn't make you any less of a Christ follower. And also know that forgiveness looks very different in different situations as well. Because reconciliation and forgiveness are on the same path, but one takes a little longer to get to. We can forgive someone and choose to look at them as a child of God and be reminded of that without automatically moving into this place of reconciliation with them. And forgiveness does not equal trust. And let's be real. There are some people that our lives are just far better without now. But knowing that we are called to model Jesus, we are obligated to move into this place of forgiveness. And there are so many scriptures that call us to do that, like 89 or something like that. The most annoying being Matthew 5:44, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Are you kidding me? You want me to pray for my enemies? A prayer of love. This is where I really start getting really vocal with the Lord. Are you kidding me, Lord? Like me. Like my side. You're on my side, Lord. They wronged me. You're on my side. But what would it look like? What would it look like to pray that God would intervene in their life and radically change them? Also knowing that when we pray, God radically changes us. Between you and me, though, when I see someone that has hurt me have an epic encounter with God, it makes me a little angry. But God does redeeming work in the lives of those who have hurt us. And I say praise be to God for that, because better he deals with them than I do. God does reconciling work in the lives of those who have hurt us, not so that we have to be close with them again, but so that they don't go on and continuing those same habits and behaviors, just as God does within us. And forgiveness is so vital in the church. And I'm not just talking the local church. I'm talking the capital C church. The body of Christ is made up of us, which newsflash If you didn't know this, we are very broken people in very desperate need of grace and forgiveness by God, attempting to live in alignment with Jesus, but constantly falling short and constantly receiving God's grace. But because of this, we are bound to hurt people along the way. And I think it's safe to say that most of us don't wake up every morning going, oh, good morning, world. Who can I offend or hurt their feelings today? No, but we say things out of frustration. We react out of anger. We make hurtful comments out of insecurity. And we let resentment continue to build against one another in disagreement. And none of that behavior seeks the heart of God. We need to actively ask for forgiveness. So, our sermon's title today, Growing in Forgiveness. It's because I truly believe that it is vital for the church to grow towards health. So, I'll be honest with you. My deepest wounds in my 22 years of life have come from the church. Being a pastor's kid, I have had some of the worst things be said to me I've heard some of the worst things be said within the church. And if it wasn't for people who 
taught me this idea of forgiveness and helped me to see the ways that I needed to ask for forgiveness with how I acted out of that hurt and anger from the church, I would have walked away from the church when I was 17 years old and I would not be standing here today. Forgiveness is the choice that I make now because of God's love. Forgiveness is the choice that I am making as a person who has been wounded by a person who is also probably wounded. It is the choice that I am making to acknowledge that that person is also invited to the same table that God has invited me to as well. And then I can trust that God, through prayer, can move both of us into a place of reconciliation within us and through us. And I think that that's what love your enemy means. I think that that's why the greatest commandment is love. Loving your enemy means to enter the throne room of God on behalf of someone that every nerve and wire of your body is made to want you to despise and to sit at the feet of Jesus and lift their life up in prayer, asking that God would invade their life and mine. Because that is maturity. Now we also need to be careful not to weaponize forgiveness too. I mean, think of how important the words and how sacred they are. I forgive you. These were some of the final words that our Savior Jesus Christ said on the cross as he was dying for our sins so that we would not have to suffer eternally. That's why... When we say these words, we should say them with such intentionality, joining in the heart of Jesus as we say them. Now, this is so much easier said than done. Believe me, I'm not, I'm preaching to myself here this morning too. Am I allowed to say that? In my case, holding on to anger and resentment towards the church has done nothing but honestly hurt my own relationship with Christ. Until I start intentionally praying for these wounds and who caused them, I can't experience the freedom from the cycles of hatred and revenge and bitterness that we carry when we choose to not forgive. I can't experience the kind of mercy and compassion that comes with knowing Jesus, the free gifts he wants to give me, but I just can't quietly open my hands and let go of the resentment that I'm carrying. Forgiveness is a gift from God because it's liberating. Forgiveness is freedom. Forgiveness is actively chasing after God's own heart. And the church cannot grow towards health and unity until we begin to be a people who set our bitterness aside and ask God what he wants to do with the situation. One of my favorite quotes that I live by now says this, May forgiveness and love for others be less and less optional. Because forgiveness is vital in the church. Not just the Church of the Nazarene, not just Mission Church, but the global body of the church. Forgiveness is not a human idea. It's God's. Forgiveness is an entirely new way of being human. It's Jesus' way of being human. Jesus enters a world of wrongdoing with a heart that is open to love and forgive 
over and over again. Seventy times seven. It is the love of God that compels us to forgive and to be forgiven. Will you pray with me? God, as we receive these words today, would they not just pass over us, but God, would they land on a soil that is ready to receive what it is that you want to stir in our hearts, God? Forgiveness is such a hard topic for us to wrestle with, Lord, because we know that it is something that models the life of Jesus so closely. And God, we recognize that we are human and will constantly fall short of that. So God, would you unify us as a church to move towards this idea of health and living with one another in a community that convicts and calls and stretches us and moves us into these places of forgiveness, Lord. We know that we cannot do this without you. So God, we invite the Holy Spirit into this place and into our presence, Lord. Would you surface our brokenness, not to shame us, but to heal us, God. Your people, your children are here. Our hearts are open and ready to receive, God. Would you take this word and would you help us to live out the change? Seventy times seven. It's in your gracious name we pray. Amen.